right, I'm currently on the phone with Nathaniel Rowland. He's another musician that reached out about the interview session. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the chance to introduce himself. Alexander, I'm Nathaniel Rowland. I'm from Western Wisconsin, about an hour from Minneapolis, actually. Um, play like rock and roll, kind of like sad, darker rock and roll, and then some weird instrumental type music also. Yes, I love sad, darkened rock and roll. That's <laughs> that's what's up. Um, all right. Well, so let's kind of get into your past. Um, tell me how you first kind of came in contact uh, with music. Uh, probably ever since I was just like a, a wee little baby. Um, my dad was a guitar player and, and he was like a really good guitar player. So I grew up watching him play. Um, and my mom always sang around the house. So like music was just kind of always there for me. Um, and like, they gave me, a, like a 45 record player when I was little. So I'd run home from like kindergarten and, and listen to the Beatles. So, uh, you kind of just grew up with music constantly being played. Uh, were your parents musicians, musicians at all, or did I just miss that? Yeah, you just missed, like I was just saying, like my dad was a guitar player. Like he's a really, really good guitar player. He played in band. Um, so I would always see him playing around the house. And okay, so he was out playing with uh, with a band, and uh, did you kind of just want to emulate that, or did you have like a deeper connection? Like, was he kind of also pushing you into it? Um, he got me a guitar probably a month before he passed away, and I mean, yeah, I, I always. Even before that, though, like I had a little Casio keyboard that I would goof around on and um, just kind of taught myself some of that stuff. It's like I how to play a little bit. And then uh, would you say uh, so would you say you're mostly self-taught with your instruments or did you take private lessons as well? I did do some private lessons when I was younger. And then I went to music tech in Minneapolis as a music school um it turned into mcnally smith and then they closed but i went there for the guitar program and then i went also for the recording engineering and music business program programs so i did that for a couple of years okay and um so tell me about kind of uh your initial steps to learning an instrument um well, I, I think I even before I was proficient, I, I was creating. I, I had a four track at home, and I would just kind of noodle and and goof around and write my weird little weird little songs, <laughs> you know. And was that just with keyboards that you were doing that, or were you doing guitars on that as well? Guitar, yeah, and and a little bit of keyboards. Okay, and then so uh, with that being on like a four track recording, whatever came of those recordings, did you ever like flush them out, or was that kind of just for your own practice? I actually did sit down like two years ago and recreated something that I I did like thirty years ago, and it, I I almost think the the four track recording had a, a little bit more of a vibe to it than than the new digital recording. Cause it was a lot of like slowed down and reverse type stuff. So I, I went back and, and used the four track again to, to recreate and then run that into my DAW. There's something about like slowing stuff down or reversing it digitally isn't quite the same as, as reversing a tape or slowing it down. And I don't know why, but it just has a different, different vibe to it. 
Okay, and so from my understanding of back in those analog days, the way that they kind of did multi-instrument recording would be like, they would record several instruments onto one track, and then several more instruments onto one track, and then have like another uh, four-track recorder that they would kind of record all of those instruments down also onto one track. Is uh, is that kind of the process that you took? Um, so what I would do is if if I used up the four tracks or if i used up three tracks i would take those three and bounce them down to to the fourth track that was available and then i would have another three tracks available um but i think back in those days i didn't really know how to use my four track very well so a lot of stuff just ended up kind of all mixed together and jumbled so it wasn't really easy to mix i guess but for you know what i was doing just kind of demoing stuff on my own it didn't really matter at the time okay so let's kind of move forward to like your young adult years once you're out of school uh how did you continue to have music in your life i started a band with uh two of my best three of my best friends and we played around for like five or six years recorded an album and then you know you get married and Jimmy quit. Joey got married. You know that whole deal. <laughs> and then you get the picket fence, and and then you got the kids, and you know, like a, a couple of the guys. Like I, I think I stuck with it longer than everybody else did. Um, I guess I'm still the only one that's doing it. So I obviously, <laughs> but um. Okay, so uh, I feel like that kind of took up a significant amount of time. That wasn't just like a couple months, and then you called it quits. Uh, would that yeah. be accurate? Yeah. Yep. I mean, we, we played for good six, five, six years. So. So tell me a bit about uh, what that process was like. Were you guys writing material and gigging or was it just all in somebody's garage? Like what was kind of the context of it? We um, started out like kind of writing our own tunes and playing a bunch of Metallica songs. And, and then we got better. And our drummer was, he was killer, man. He was, and he was also our singer. So like, in your band is really only as good as your drummer. So we were actually pretty decent. And then we, you know, started getting local gigs and playing at bars. And then, um, you know, we had a bunch of songs together. We did a demo at a local studio and then um, ended up going in like a couple of years later to a studio in Minneapolis and recording our full album, which was um, Captain I Sooner Than Now. That was the name of the band and the album. Um, and then, you know, we played around for a couple more years and I, I think just like the debt of that album, you know, you take out $10,000 in loans to make an album back then. And, and yeah, I think that kind of like crushed, you know, a couple of the guys spirits and sure. Yeah. But, that's, but that's we got hard. Through it, you know, we, we all came out of it friends, which, you know, was, that's great. Okay, so let's, uh, again, move forward. Uh, what happened after that band kind of everybody went their separate ways? Um, how, did, how did you kind of take your next step? I took a couple of years just kind of getting myself in order and, you know, doing stuff around. With, like I, At that point, I'd just gotten a Mac and I had GarageBand, so I was learning a little of, um, like, the digital world of recording. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, around 2006 i joined like three bands 
and then um then I joined a, a U2 cover band and a Radiohead tribute. <laughs> Excuse me, <coughs> a U2 cover band and a Radiohead tribute band, um, and was in them till about 2013. And that's kind of my health kind of took a dive at that point. I've I've had muscular dystrophy ever since I was, I was a kid, but at that point I couldn't play live anymore. I couldn't carry my stuff in to set it up. And like just bending over to set up your pedal board and you know with a u2 tribute band or a radiohead tribute band you got a lot of pedals so sure so at that point i was just like you know i'm i'm done playing live um and i i took another few years off and was just kind of working on my own material around around the house and then started a recording studio in 2017 just after I had had lung cancer, I had an opportunity to set up shop in the basement of a place and got a couple of people come in to record and, and did that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm still doing that now, but just out of my own house. And you said you're in uh, Western Wisconsin. So would that be like the Menominee area or Eau Claire? Yeah, Menominee's like 20 minutes from here. Cool. Uh, so you have some ties to the Minneapolis music scene, uh, as well as, uh, I assume, kind of uh, the Menominee and Eau Claire, kind of the college circuit that's out there. So if any of those bands want to come record, you're open to them kind of thing. Totally. Totally. Um, so how do you kind of feel that you're at now? Uh, you mentioned that you opened up kind of your own at-home project studio. Uh, is that kind of what you see for your future? Uh, what kind of solo projects are you working on for yourself? Um, well, with the Nathaniel Rowland stuff, like I, I put out um, these albums called Prairie Dogs Have Plague, and there, there's four different volumes of it, and they're weird. A lot of them are like a minute long or 30 second long songs, and they're just like really weird stuff. Like one of them is on my last one. I kind of had like a movie tv inspiration kind of surge where one song was uh, a heist setup montage theme song and it sounds like if if you were gonna like go rob a bank this is your theme song you know or or like for the the italian job or something it would like fit right in one of those movies perfectly <laughs> and then i did like this one that was called um samson and ford and i kind of pictured it as like a of um like an old tv show like a 70s kind of junkyard dog type show kind of like sanford and son but but i don't know and then there was another one that was um inspired by harold faltemeyer's um xlf and i called it foley a because it reminded me of of you would see um beverly hills cop like he's sneaking around a warehouse or something it's just like weird stuff like that. But they're like all just all these unused ideas that I, I'm like, what am I going to do with, with this 30 seconds or two minutes of music that you can't really sing over it. So they, and it actually worked out really well <laughs> for, for what it was. And do you kind of imagine those kind of being uh, like commercial license kind of tunes or eventually you'll put out like an album of them? What do you think your like long-term goal for that? Yeah, they're they're actually the those four are out there. The Prairie Dogs at Plague volumes one through four are on all the streaming services, and then I also have 
two other albums that um that i sing on and those are like the, the like kind of a um they're like sad rock songs i guess mm. like a little bit slower tempo <laughs> um kind of a darker sound um and then so like i have a hundred songs released right now so and then my plan is to hopefully release at least a hundred more in the next few years uh all right well so with all the time that you know you've been working on music learning instruments and then setting up your own studio uh what are your like most prominent memories that kind of stand out to you and kind of keep you motivated um i think just having the the um what's the word i'm looking for like i don't know just the ability to be able to write and record and release it all from my living room is like this huge like bonus for me because i mean you think about 23 years ago we went into the studio with my band and we went into this went into debt and and we came out with a cd that was you know we were like all right that's okay but it wasn't i don't think exactly what we pictured but the cool thing is i sat down three years ago and and remixed that project from the original two inch analog tapes so that was that was fun to do you did that did you uh do it again on analog or did you take like the stems put them into the daw and then rework them that way I had, since I don't have a two-inch machine, I sent them to the guy that originally recorded it, and he dumped them down to digital for me. And then he kept the the two-inch tapes, and and then I just worked from within my DAW at that point. Uh, Any others? Um, As far as, like, memories that stand out? Yeah. I I think, you know, I really miss playing live. Uh, we, We played a lot of fun shows. Um, and I had a lot of fun, especially with like the tribute bands, you know, I think tribute bands kind of sometimes get a a bad rap, but man, it was so cool to like sit down and recreate the tones for all those songs. Like, I think that was probably the most challenging part about it. Like playing songs, they weren't that super challenging to play, but, but recreating the sounds and like trying to do is do it as authentically as possible was was a bit of a challenge but i really liked it yeah that that actually does kind of sound interesting i've i've heard that uh there's people that will go so far as like kind of get the exact same gear and things like that i've talked to a couple other tribute artists through this wave Mm -hmm. of the interview sessions that i've been doing and there seems to be uh different kind of uh quite a spectrum of people's like commitment to that to you know dressing up exactly like the artist or (laughs) or seeking the exact gear and tone kind of thing uh it seems very interesting kind of did that with the uh u2 project because i was playing the edge so you got to have a a stocking hat for sure and i would grow the, the the goatee you know every every time we'd have a show i'd have the goatee and then you know there's kind of some different versions of the edge out there like in the early 90s you get cowboy edge that was my favorite one to play at the, the black cowboy hat you know like uh it was just a lot of fun it's like kind of like a biker cowboy i guess all right well where can people uh find your stuff and check you out my website is natermusic.com n-a-t-e-r music.com 
and um, my music's available there or on any of the streaming services. Nathaniel Rowland is my artist name. Um, but yeah, I'm out. I'm definitely out there. Uh, all right. So I always like to give the person I'm interviewing the opportunity to put out their last words. So what's a message that you believe in that you think other people should hear? Um, you know that not everybody that is out there making music is is like a actual like healthy being like my body is is kind of wrecked at this point i have barely any strength to to lift my guitar up and get it up over my shoulders but you know there's people out there that are blind or paraplegic and quadriplegic that are like still out there playing and making music and i i think we're seeing you know a little bit more of that these days um like with some of the bigger artists kind of talking about their health issues and um stuff like that. So I, I think that's just kind of, I, there should be a little more awareness. And also like, as far as like the club owners, like they, they should be trying to make their stages more accessible. Cause that's one of the big reasons that I quit is like, you go to play at a, at a gig and there's no stairs to get on the stage. And like, I can barely do stairs at this point. So, you know, it'd be nice to like find a venue where there's like a ramp for, for, people like me there are people in wheelchairs you know so but I, you know and don't be a dick like you're saying <laughs> don't be a dick to people is, i think is a good message i like that 